The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead, Dave. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead, Dave. Hello, welcome to Everybody is Dead, Dave, the Red Dwarf Review podcast where we are making our way through every episode of the series in order. Myself, a long-term fan, and Adam Martin, a relative newbie, although seven seasons <laughs> in now. Do you know what? By the time we finish this show in like a... I don't know, maybe another half a year. Can we? St- can will you still say, oh, rel- relative newbie? <laughs> yeah, we'll have to think of new terms by that point, probably. Yeah, we'll get to the promised land, and that's when you can graduate from being a relative <laughs> newbie, and you get your special oh, my little certificate, like <laughs> little certificate with a micro dot on the eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, of course. Yeah, I can't wait for that. So yeah, stay tuned for that, folks. Again, maybe another half a year or so, but we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Uh, I think you're being optimistic there with half a year, <laughs> to be honest. I, tried to, I know we've talked about it before, but in my head I was like, did we say half a year or did we say like another... It's not another full year, is it? I don't think. Oh, Surely that's a not. good question. We, we've been going now. Our first episode released in March, the beginning of March, right, and we're yeah. now in November and Blimey. we're about halfway through. <laughs> okay. So Maybe like maybe, summer next year? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe summer yeah. to autumn next year we'll actually yeah. finish. And then what will we do? Uh, well, uh, well, as we mentioned uh, in our last episode when we had Mike on, uh, I've not delved into Star Trek, and I know you're a Trekkie, so... I am, indeed. Maybe that, yeah, maybe maybe that's that could the, be our new but then, adventure. But then we'd <laughs> obviously got the original series, but then, unlike Red Dwarf, there's numerous different Star Trek shows, so... That's there another are. ballpark for another day. <laughs> That's a long way off. We don't have to worry yes. about that for now. Uh, today, we're talking about the episode Beyond a Joke. The, uh, oh God, I've lost count. Is it the sixth episode of, of yes, the series? Yes, six, six of series six, seven. Sixth episode yeah. of series seven. And uh, the synopsis on Now TV, which is now where I watch these. I bought the DVDs and then I worked out how actually I do still have access to it, but on Now TV. <laughs> but there you go. It's good to have the DVDs anyway. Absolutely. Um, the synopsis for Beyond a Joke is, Kachansky transports the crew into the world of Jane Austen's pride and prejudice. That's all we get from the synopsis oh. on Now TV. They're very short and concise for yeah, their that, synopsis. That's a very interesting synopsis given um, the episode, but we'll get into that, I'm sure. But yeah, that's... yeah. But, Interesting well, they chose that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to start with with the beginning of the episode? How did you yeah. Lister and Crichton's interaction at the beginning there? Um, well, b- before I get into the interaction, the first thing I noticed was that this episode was co-written by Robert Llewellyn himself. Uh, I did not notice that. That is yeah, interesting. It was Robert, L- who I always forget, who's the, the one of the original writers who stuck around? Was it Doug Naylor? Doug Naylor, yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm certain it's said by Robert Llewellyn and Doug Naylor. So I thought, okay, so that made me instantly think maybe this is going to be a Crichton-centric episode because obviously Robert Llewellyn plays Crichton. He's got that knowledge of the character. And I I think I'm sort of right in that assumption. You know, of the main cast, you'd argue probably it's it's a Crichton episode if you had to pick one. Probably. Yeah, I would say um, so, yeah. But yeah, no, the, the di- that opening scene, I thought it was... I thought it was good. Um, I thought the build to the because obviously this is his. He's prepared the lobster supper, and then Kachansky's like, "No, we're going into the AR world of uh, Jane Austen land or whatever it is." 
I thought the the payoff was good of her completely disrupting Crichton's plans because I thought that was a better example. You know, we've talked about the Crichton-Kachansky tension this series. Yeah. And how I think we mentioned before we felt sometimes when it gets brought up, it's like too laboured. Like it's the same thing it, over yeah, and over again. Yeah, it has been sometimes, yeah. I thought this was like a better way of doing it. It was subtle. She, you know, Crichton wasn't like, oh, I can't believe, you know, that woman or that, you know, did that. He's obviously annoyed. I just felt it was more subtle, but had more impact yeah, that way. Yeah, I, I do think it worked much better in this episode. It kind of made sense with the story that was being told. It didn't feel like, okay, they're just doing the same joke again. We get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, jealous of... There's, there's also, it's not irrational jealousy here because she does he has this whole nice thing planned to mark his the anniversary of them finding him on the nova five he's cooked yeah. lobster he's put out a silver service type you know very nice table dressed it lovely and then she comes in and goes oh no we're all going to the ar suites um yeah so i can absolutely understand why he would be a bit miffed there his friends are abandoning him on his special day yes in order to go to this thing that she has set up to give them some no, culture. No, I agree. And I like the little call back to the Nova 5, which of course is where they found yes. Crichton, which feels back in series two, which feels like a lifetime ago. So Yeah, there's a few callbacks in this episode. I like it when they do a yeah. callback. I just like there was a reason for why Crichton did it. I didn't, you know, I'm glad it wasn't just Crichton's, you know, randomly decided to... The fact that, as you said, the fact that it was this anniversary made the payoff funnier in a way. Because he's got yeah. bless him, he's gone to all that effort, and then Kachansky's like, "Oh yeah, we're going to we're going to AR land for Jane Austen world," which to us is something like really trivial and like mundane. You know, it's just been thrown up. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I like the fact they referenced it. I'm glad it wasn't just a random throwaway gag of, "Oh look, Crichton's just happened to cook a fancy dinner." Sort of thing. Yeah, talking of dinner, it's lobster, and Lister won't eat animals apparently that have been <laughs> cartoons. Um, yeah, which he well. says but before he knows it's a lobster he says this so he's like oh, i won't eat a weevil because there's been a yep. weevil cartoon and i won't eat mice rabbits blah 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 basically anything that's been a cartoon but like there have been cartoon lobsters there have uh, there's I... like i mean i can think of one that i will let them off for not having this because there was one in spongebob but spongebob didn't come out till after larry... this episode yes larry the lobster i'll let them off like for the... that one but also like just like guy. the little mermaid Sebastian. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that was that was true. the '80s. Come on, that's, guys. There's that's a pretty big lobsters. character as well. Like that's a yeah. I mean, to be fair to the writers though, like what animal hadn't even by 1997? What animal hadn't been a cartoon at that? That's point, a good point. You know and I mean? it probably if every you'd, single if you'd animal. have dug deep enough, like they, you know, that was pre. I was gonna say, well, the internet wasn't around that much, but yeah, Sebastian. That that's that's a big character. Like that's not a random throwaway in an old obscure movie like you say that's the little mermaid so i don't know maybe they just didn't care <laughs> yeah. in red door fashion they just said it so or maybe lister's never seen the little mermaid maybe maybe that's sad that was one of my favorite movies as a kid yeah i used to want to marry the little mermaid see i never watched it much as a kid and this might well it's a mix really this wasn't like my not my upbringing but you know like you know on tv like back in the 90s the adverts Thankfully, it's not like this as much anymore. You know, it was like, these things are for boys. These things are for girls. Oh, yeah. So I remember seeing the VHS commercials for Disney films. And if anything was like vaguely action orientated, you know, it was always like boys watching it and a male announcer. Whereas when it was things like The Little Mermaid, like Pocahontas, Mulan, it was always, you know, like all the girls in their Disney princess outfits. Oh, and interesting. It was all pink. And, and just, you know, because, you know, we all know what advertising can do when you're young. Little me probably thought, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to watch that. 
But then, strangely enough, I love Beauty and the Beast. So it's a, uh, it's I've seen it now, of course. I think The Little Mermaid's great. But yeah, it's just interesting. Back then, I remember advertising really was that is even to the early I think 2000s. it might have got the nineties, especially, might have been when it started getting a lot worse. That um, that kind of yeah. sectioning off kids stuff into like oh no this stuff is for boys and this stuff is for girls because i think like i don't ever recall i'm i'm as we've pointed out on this show before i'm a little <laughs> bit older than you i didn't want um, to say it Phil. only, only by it. about 10 years but that's okay. enough of a gap <laughs> yeah. to notice these things and like uh so i remember the early 90s the early 90s very vaguely and i think there was a difference in like advertising like that between the yeah. early 90s and the late 90s, that's when it changed, I think, right. and got more like that. So I don't... Yeah. I mean, you might be right. It might the, the Little Mermaid might have still been advertised with a female voiceover and stuff like that, but I never got the impression that I shouldn't watch it because I'm a boy. Um, no, for sure, for sure. Which is, think, which is good. I yeah. don't know if that changed. Because that was before like the whole Disney princess brand got introduced. Exactly, and like yeah. That. And it well, was really was like, with that sort of stuff that kind of... Yeah cemented that that was like the center like in the early 2000s i always remember the disney princess adverts and again it like i was advertising has you could argue it like has a subliminal impact especially on children um and you know that was still a time where it was you know in a lot of things like this is for boys this is for girls i believe it's not as much i think there's actually rules in advertising where it's not like that now uh, for the better but oh we love a good tangent don't we what a great tangent look at that we started was. on uh, cartoon lobsters and we ended up with we... a uh, tangent discussion on uh, advertising of children's products in the 1990s but we love it it's one yeah. of the things we love doing um i love a uh, i know they're going to jane austen world and I, I must admit i didn't have m- many notes for this first bit when they went into i was just sort of what do you know what i mean there wasn't anything not in a bad way, but there wasn't anything that like stood out to me. It was like, all right, now they're in Jane Austen world, and now here's Jane Austen and company. Uh, but I, what I love is Crichton's pettiness, the way he storms into the AR chamber. Like, yes, you, I, I, Robert Llewellyn play when Crichton's being petty, and I think if that if he co-wrote this bit, he he knows it very well. He knows how to make Crichton funny by being petty because you can't always do that with a character. Sometimes I think petty characters you can go, oh well, they're just being annoying, you know. But Crichton's the exact opposite. Yeah, and I love the the when he first enters the AR game, and he's basically picking off the Bennett sisters like yes. from the back of the walking group that they're all in with the with the rest of the crew. Uh, he's just like picking them off one by one. He like f- fires a, like a sleeping dart into one of their necks, and then like captures one with a noose he's put on the floor to capture a foot in, and tries to swing a log at another one but misses. <laughs> yes yeah and and then uh when they're when that's all gone by and they're they're so Crichton uh, not Crichton Lister Kat and Kachansky are having tea with Mrs Bennett and the remaining sisters that Crichton has failed to to pick up he comes out of the AR system programs in something from an from another game and then enters it again and he basically just emerges from the lake while they're having a nice tea in a gazebo in a world war ii tank Yes. Yeah. And it's like, perhaps I didn't make myself clear. I said supper is ready. <laughs> and blows up the gazebo. Is anyone still unclear as to the supper situation? No? 
Excellent. Yeah, again, the pettiness is is incredible, but also very funny. And like the the exaggerated explosion as well. Like it's so it you know it's such an unnecessarily big explosion for one gazebo. And of course, how you just have the three regular cash just sat there. Yeah, afterwards. Like, that okay. that tank, by the way, apparently according to the IMDb trivia section, Our the world famous page. IMDb yeah. trivia section, is the same tank that was used in the James Bond film Goldeneye. Oh, the one where he drives around Russia, I think. Yeah, he dri- I think he drives up. around yeah. St. Petersburg, doesn't he, in it? Something like that, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Famous tank then, famous tank reuse. Yeah. But according according to this little fact as well, the tank arrived late after being caught in traffic on the M25 motorway. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> Imagine seeing that on your commute, just a massive whack-off tank on a... I'm assuming it was on a truck or something, unless they yeah. drove it. I doubt they drove it on the M25. And that but. was obviously location filming as well, where they had this yes. lake and the gazebo by it. And apparently, again, according to this, they the when they fired the tank, it was so loud that it set off nearby car alarms and provoked complaints by nearby residents. So Yeah. I mean, when you got that much firepower, I'm not surprised. But that was a very idyllic location they found, though. I thought it was really, it looked really nice wherever they were. Yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. Crichton finally gets them out, and they're being very nice to him while eating the lobster. So Lister will eat the lobster, even though, even though we know that they've been cartoons. We won't bring yes. that up again. Uh, <laughs> and Kachansky and Lister are particularly going out of their way to be very nice to him. And Cat, mm-hmm. in his usual way, is just not getting what they're doing. Nope. The subtleties in that. He's like, what? This doesn't taste that great. What are you eating? Yeah. And then uh, Lister commits the cardinal sin of, uh, of of fine dining and asks for ketchup with his lobster. And yep. Crichton's head literally explodes. Yeah. And I thought it was a good a good effect, you know, especially for the time. I thought it looked pretty fun. Um Again, I wasn't expecting it. Well, I wasn't, and then I was. As soon as I saw the shot, I was like, oh, this is what they play in the intro for this series. Because I remember seeing that in these series, and I was like, bloody hell, I wonder, well, when that's going to happen and why that's going to happen. And alas, it was because Lister asked for ketchup on his lobster, which is just too much. Yeah, it's another one of those uh, little bits that have been captured in GIF form on Twitter as well, and I've used it many a time on our Um, on our podcast Twitter account to refer to something and added that gif of his head exploding. By the way, that's uh, at alldavepod if you want to follow us on Twitter. Give us a follow. Um, Yeah, yeah, so he blows up. I thought it was a good effect too. uh, It looked good. I mean, there was kind of an obvious cut where it stopped being Robert Llewellyn and then, yeah, it changes and it's obviously a prosthetic that exploded. I thought that was a bit obvious, but it still looked overall quite good, I thought. Yeah, it's the same again when it well when it happens well when it happens again because the minute it blew up I was like oh he's got spare heads see I'm retaining my uh, red dwarf continuity nice. here um, but yeah no I I guess they you know there had to be a cut somewhere but for me I know it was the eyes that gave it away because yeah. I think the eyes go from being like normalized to suddenly very like big almost bulging eyes and then. It's very quick, but I think if you see it, it's like, oh, right, that's where we swap. But no, it's still a very impressive effect. But yeah, I mean, that scene where they're trying to fix him, a uh, replacement head doesn't seem to cut it this time. No, and they end up blowing up all of his spare heads. Oh, no more spare How many heads. did he have? Was there three? There were three, I think. I think. Spare head one, two, ones, and three. Yeah. And one of them was grumpy and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, they've blown up all of his spare heads. But he, they do have his personality on a chip still. So they go on a search for a new head. <laughs> they do. And we run into, speaking of continuity, we have, well, 
in the next few scenes, there's a ton of continuity references, really, as they yeah. search for a new head. Yeah, because they board this ship and they come across, they find some heads, some spare yeah. of his series of head, obviously all like shaped to be look like Robert Llewellyn in that mask. Um, and but it's a simulant ship. There is a, a mm. croaky old simulant there. That's uh, that obviously. Uh, Simulants do not like humans. We've encountered them before. We have. They hate humans with a passion. Mm-hmm. And so they they initially hide from him. But they, they yes. I think they've they've got the heads. So was it that they needed a chip or something that he had? It was it was I think they said a primer chip. That's I think they it. said. Because yeah. when they when they have the chat with the simulant who do the heads or tails thing, I think it says here's the head, and then I, I'm sure he says here's the primer. Because he gives That's he right, gives yeah. cat two things, but of course to even as you said, simulants don't like human or humanoids, so they have to <laughs> they come up with a a disguise, and that disguise <laughs> happens to be yeah. another throwback. Yeah, they dress up as gelfs. Uh, yeah, you, you know they they the race that list the discount married one Chewbacca's of. discount Chewbacca's big things, hairy things. Like I do have one question: Did they just have these costumes lying around? <laughs> Well, I was going to say, did they? Because they, they were they were on the simulant ship when they saw them and thought, right, we need a disguise. So I was a bit confused as like, did they get them from the simulant ship, or as you say, or were they on Starbug? And I've got to admit, did they this craft whole, they, them at the time? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, just just like magic. Quick, I've got get the to sewing say, machine though, out. <laughs> these few scenes, I thought, were a bit for me at least. They came across a bit muddled, not just like in. Like you're saying, like, is in where, where, like, whoa, okay, lots of information. How did they get these costumes? Um, some of the jokes didn't land for me. I think Kachansky has one. I, I wrote the Vietnam City joke. You know, it's like, oh, you yes. sound like, what was that? It's You'd sound like, uh, the, you sound like most... uh, the capital or a large Vietnam city because it, it sounds, he was, it was, they were talking about how something sounds like, uh, or her, or something like yeah, that. I can't remember it exactly. I just, I don't yeah. know what it was. I don't think it was Chloe and Nett. Like, I don't think it's her performance. No. Well, I just I think, think it's, it's a, the joke It was itself. a weird joke because it was written to fall flat with the others. But yeah. It also, it, it wasn't quite clever enough to work for us as the audience. It's, it kind of fell flat for us as well. Yeah, because it's quite a niche. I mean, what they're referencing is quite a niche. Th- like, I didn't know what the third most like populated city of Vietnam was or whatever the setup was. And I think it, it's not countered by sometimes, like you say, you have those jokes where a character's saying it, they're set, they're going to fail, like joke wise with the other characters. But then one of the others will say something in retort, which then gets the laugh out of us because it is so ridiculous. Um, like we mentioned, I think last week with the what was it like the guess the aria game she mentioned on games night yeah but then the because the other characters are taking the mic that's what sort of salvages it for the audience whereas here yeah the two just she says this joke about the vietnam city and lister and cat just sort of sit there and say like yeah they don't right, really have okay. a, a witty retort they just kind of yeah we don't so know the what you're talking about sort of comes across to the audience in my opinion at least so it's a bit like okay so why did we t- you know what was what was the point almost but yeah yeah, I yeah. was a bit of a dud. But in a cutaway from the them devising their plan to dress up as Gelfs, we get a scene where we're introduced to another droid. Um, yes. The headless Crichton is taken into uh, by this simulant to his uh, other droid that he already has, uh, who mm. is also played by Robert Llewellyn, but in a very different way. I think this this was great for showing off 
Robert Llewellyn's acting and he's doing a different character. He was doing a kind of an American drawl type thing. Yeah. Um, and really hunchy. He changed his whole physical sort of stance for it as well because he really hunched over and crunched up his yeah. face. And yeah. It took it took me a while to like warm to it because at first, and I did, I was a bit like, oh God, I hope this isn't it. Because, he, you know, he sounded, he sort of, like, I'm trying to do my best impression. Like, you know, he sort of spoke, you know, like, like that with like bottom lip like bottom bit like jutted out and stuff i was like i hope we're not setting this up to be like a character who's for want of a better word like meant you know like mentally impaired in that sense yeah but like pretty quickly like you're saying i realized it was that sort of like american draw like and then obviously we learn he's in a way like addicted to drugs so it's like yeah a, a junkie so it's effect. kind of like more the effect of like long-term addiction um yeah yeah so in a way it has affected his cognitive ability but not through anything it, that yeah the performance is, wasn't nah. at the ex- to, at, at the extent of a, like a mental disability basically yeah. but um, yeah. so I'm glad it wasn't that but yeah there was a brief moment when we first met him and I thought oh god I hope this isn't what we're doing you know but no I, as as the more we saw Abel the more I warmed to him and his little quirks and I did like actually, his yeah, jokes I did like his jokes where um uh Crichton asks him a question and he has to send the request down to long-term memory retrieval. Yeah. That was Although good. I'm going to, I'm going to say it and you can all get your buzzers ready. The joke was too long in my opinion. <laughs> I I thought because, because the nature, because the nature of the joke, you know, it's all about, he takes time to figure these things out. The first time I did laugh because you know, it is, it is funny. He's like, mm, mm, that proper thing. But for me, it's like that joke for me, at least only worked once. If as soon as I know, like the, what, uh, if you're playing the <laughs> official Everybody is Dead Dave drinking game, now please take a shot. <laughs> yeah, every time Adam says a joke's too long, take a shot. But no, I mean, I'd be interested to see what you think. But honestly, for me, like those kind of jokes, like ones that I guess maybe are like time-based or where it takes time to, you know, do the joke. It's like doing it once. Like I don't know. For me, it only worked once, basically. The other times he did it, I was like, no, I'm over it now. I think because he only did the actual retrieval two times, didn't he? And then the th- there was a third time where he was about to, but then Crichton goes, no, no, don't worry. Um, yeah, and he says, irritating characteristic. And I wrote in my notes, hmm, couldn't agree, couldn't agree more. Like, <laughs> I so I guess they're self-aware it. to some degree. Yeah, maybe. I think one more time would have been too much, but I, I didn't mind how many times they did it, I think. Yeah, oh, and, I, and that third time when he gets interrupted, he was like, are you sure it would just take 20 seconds? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, I think that was all right. He's addicted. What was the name of the the, the drug that he's addicted Ultrazone, to? Ultrazone. Ultrazone. It, yeah. It's kind of like some kind of fluid he puts into his chest unit. Yeah, but apparently it's highly addictive just... and corrupts your circuit board. Yeah, it just seems to make it well. I guess like more relaxed in a in a in a way, or just like in yeah. Well, it's like it's a high, isn't it? That's yeah, what simulating. I think it's so. A, it's a, yeah, and uh, so public service announcement: people don't. Try Ultrazone, it's highly addictive. Yes, just say no bad. to Ultrazone. Just say no to Ultrazone. I say I like how his costume was just the Crichton costume painted green. You know, simple simple repaint, but it yeah. works. Yeah. Um, and so they, they come onto the board, the the crew come on board in their Gelf costumes with Lister as a as a human prisoner that they've got, and mm. Kachansky and Kat dressed up as Gelf and have this they they start speaking an approximation of Gelf, which is just a load of 
grunting and sounds. Uh, apologies uh, if I just uh, <laughs> deafened your ear with my grunt, my, my gelf speech there. I don't know this scene. This, see, I'm going to say it now. I think this scene went on too long. Oh, okay. The like negotiation, the negotiation scene, scene and all the gelf okay. language jokes. I did find it a little bit funny when Cat just starts speaking English and yeah, uh, but again, that went on too long. Yeah, no, I yeah, I agree. I think that whole scene was a bit elongated for like the whole discussion about oh, we're not trading, and like you're saying, like Cat constantly speaking human and Kachansky trying to shake him out of it. And I must admit that the villain at times, and I was watching this on Blu-ray on my TV, um. And I've got my settings on my TV optimized for dialogue. So Mm. dialogue, you know, of every sound element, the dialogue is like the one that's heightened by the TV. I struggle to understand the villain at some points, the simulant. And I think that was partly, I think they had like a filter on his voice. Well, I will give you this bit of information now because a lot of people did think he had um, uh, some kind of special effect on his voice. He didn't. In fact, at this point, he was terminally ill with throat cancer. Ah. Um, so that is how his voice just sounded at that time. It's um, Don Henderson, isn't it? I know. Yeah, and he actually died a few months after filming that. Oh blimey! I thought the character. I liked the character, but yeah, I just I thought I thought there were just moments where I struggled to I struggled yeah. to make out, especially in this scene. This scene was probably the one where I was, some moments I was like, I'm not really getting across what's going on here yeah Um, well see i was watching it and i didn't know that at the time either and i thought it was a deliberate artistic choice to do that kind of either put an effect on it or do that voice um but i i think it worked really well for the character um it definitely gave him this kind of very creepy vibe to him yeah um don henderson always does those creepy villains well for for any who fans out there he played the villain gavrock in delta and the bannerman from season 24 And it's sort of similar, like, you know, gruff and rough villain with, like, a, a raspy voice. Um, but, yeah, no, I li- I liked his simulant. But there's a bit towards the end that I like with him, but we'll we'll get to that when we get there. But, um, yeah, well, no, that's that's a shame to hear he, he had throat cancer at the time. Um, yeah, nasty thing. But, I mean, hey, he was still... The fact he st- still came in to turn a performance, you know, speaks volumes, really. Yeah. So the they do this trade... Um, but they, the simulants does say a very obvious line that then is like, oh, okay, we know what's coming. Never trust a simulant. He says that mm. to them. Yes. <laughs> and then yeah. they go off and, uh, uh, and basically he has double crossed them because the, while he was distracting them, his accomplice, who I think is a gelf, cause we see another gelf later. Yeah. Um, but they, they don't get any more lines are all focused on that they're just there they're they're just there uh has ransacked their ship and stolen loads of um loads of stuffing including Crichton's body actually that was before that because that because he takes the yeah because he takes the then takes it to his his droid Crichton to his droid says repair this and that's how Crichton gets his head back um or gets a new head as it is yes um but they so they start trying so Starbuck starts trying to chase them but they're f- the the simulant ship is a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Now I got a little bit confused in the next bit. I must. Admit. Oh, is this is this about the the bomb? The thing? bomb, yeah. Because they start. They, they were like, oh yeah, we're doing something, but we'd only do that if we'd planted a bomb there. But we didn't plant a bomb, did we? 
no, I don't think we planted the bomb. Then why are we doing this? But we'd only be doing... And I was like, what is going on? I am very confused. <laughs> yeah, but and then Kachansky long... does that little smile. So is it implied she she did plant a bomb? Yeah, no, no, it's not. It's. I think... Right. I, <laughs> correct us in the comments if I'm wrong. It took me... Uh, a, I must admit, it took me a while to work this out. Probably until after the scene had actually finished and we'd moved on to the next scene. But I think Kachansky uh, had basically did the manoeuvres with the ship that they would... In, in inverted commas, only do if they'd planted a bomb to right. make the simulant think they'd planted a bomb so that the simulant, because they could never oh, catch up with the ship, right. to make okay, yeah, the yeah, simulant yeah. ship turn around and chase them so that sure. they could actually get Crichton back. But it it wasn't, I don't, I think either we're both being really dense here. <laughs> or I mean, for it, me, it's highly possible. It I, wasn't I very clear because clearly neither of us got that during the no, actual I, scene. No, I don't think it was... I think it was a good idea, but, I yeah, maybe not executed in the in the best... In the, yeah, I, I remember, like, when the scene resolves, I'm like, wait, so they have? They haven't? They've, they've discovered something because they all seem very happy now, but... Yeah, it was it was a bit of a clunk. Yeah, at that point in my notes, I literally wrote and underlined three times. Did they plant a bomb? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, but then like a little bit later, I worked it out and put another note out. Oh no, they didn't. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, but in the confrontation, they beam aboard, um, and there's a bit of a confrontation. But one thing that uh, the simulant says to Crichton mm-hmm. is to give him a password to unlock a file about in his memory bank about yes, Crichton's creator. creator. Yeah. yeah. That was... Who, uh, I, in, in my mind, before they said it, I was like, we've definitely seen or referenced Crichton's creator before because mm. I remembered that. But it, it was a female professor as well. I remembered that. And then obviously they mention her by name, which is Professor Mamet, I think. Yeah. Um, and I like the setup, though. Like Again, I li- I've, I've said before, I like when... Red Dwarf has these, it wasn't serious, but like not necessarily just comedy moments. Because when Crichton first accesses it, he doesn't reveal it straight away. You just sort of see his reaction. And I like that. I like how we, you know, it's not sort of telling us all straight away. Just sort of is like, you know, oh, it it, it can't be or whatever he says, you know. I like yeah. that sort of And it does leave us wondering it. and uh, definitely got me like, oh, what could it be? What could this juicy secret about his creator be? Yeah. I've got to admit, though, because obviously... It's like that stalemate, you know, they're in the cargo bay. They've all got guns pointed at each other and stuff. And the simulant's threatening, oh, who am I going to kill first, the cat or the girl? Um, And then Abel throws throws his head at the simulant and and it like knocks him. And I thought, how heavy is Abel's head to like, you know, shake him that much? But because he nearly falls forward. So I was like, okay. But uh, hey, maybe it's really heavy. I don't know. Maybe. But um. But then, yeah, he take uh, Lister takes out uh, it's well the simulant and the Gelf, doesn't he? Or he yeah. shoots the yeah the poor Gelf that is just there probably because they thought hey we can just reuse the costume yeah um, and then they flee and now they've got Abel as well because he's now on their do. side because um, the 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 implication was that um, I think that the simulant by unlocking this file had and had done so with Abel as well basically made them so depressed that they'd be compliant and think life's you know. Yeah, well, useless, that's why Abel so... took the Ultra Zone, wasn't yeah. It? it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but he's obviously gotten a, a new lease of life to, to to decide to break away from his master and uh, uh, join the Red Dwarf crew. So but they so they have to run away now because the other ship's chasing them and they hide in 
an asteroid belt, was it? I think. Yeah, they hide in an asteroid belt, and uh, the shot of them going in the asteroids, I was like, woof, this is a uh, 90s CGI. Although, <laughs> yes. which is weird, though, because earlier in the episode, there were some shots where I could tell, like, the, the planets in the background were CG, but Starbug looked like a model again. Like, after watching this it's sequentially, it's a, I'm not trying to be an expert in special effects, but I, I, I feel like I can tell now, you know, when Starbug is a model and when it's CG. And I thought there was a lovely blend throughout this episode of various shots that were model and CG. But yet for this asteroid one, it looked all CG. Um, but yeah. yeah, no, just interesting. Oh, I forgot comparison. to mention, we forgot to mention actually what the, because um, we do find out what the secret about Crichton's crater was. Lister kind of makes him tell him in, in, a, in yes. a quiet moment between the two of them. And it's that th- them, their series of Android that he is was created in the image of her fiance who jilted her. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, her so she clearly husband. she was engaged to be married to somebody with a very strange shaped head. I was gonna say, like, did he did he have this shaped head as it as it was? But um, I think I, that's I, I the was, implication. I was trying to remember what we've what we've learned about Mammoth in the past because didn't Crichton confront? It was either he confronted her or was it the one where it was the thing that created an image of her, like her, his greatest fear or something? Ah, uh, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. yeah, we've we but have seen Mama. What, that is my have. point. Like we've yeah. we've certainly seen her, but yeah, we've no seen mention someone of pretending her husband. to be her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no, that's, that's the one that then tells him to go into the trash compactor, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no mention of her fiance. So no. Um, and when what what caused his head to blow up? We find out in this scene as well. Is that all of the resentment. She also installed a a chip uh, within that series of Android that builds up all the resentment and jealousy that she has programmed into these people, into this series of Androids to have, because that's how her fiance was. Um, And that when it gets full, it blows. And clearly the uh, ketchup incident was the last straw, the last bit of information to fill up that chip. And it exploded um yeah. earlier on in the episode so that's what that's about i thought that was a neat way to tie it in i didn't have a problem with that whole concept yeah that was quite good i thought interesting yeah interesting concept yeah and um, but while they're hanging out in the asteroid field they're, they're kind of playing poker basically we just get this sort of scene of them hanging out playing poker As, yeah just chilling but, but abel um, um sneaks off can, to juice up he can't resist can he bless him yeah um and he yeah. goes to the cockpit to do this because nobody's in there an accidentally yeah. knocks a button, which gives away <laughs> their position. And this whole thing, we get this very... The incidental music kicks in, and God, this was a 90s beat, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. All, like, it's very, the, synth. The, very synth-heavy, like the, the drum and bass, like background beat. Like, it's it's very of its time. It's good. It's good music. But yeah, as you, it's like a dead giveaway, isn't it? As to, like, yeah. when this was when this was made. Um, and I, some of the shots as well, like, because, you know, they come in the control room and they're, like, putting out the fires... They try some like really odd like close up shots, like when Lister's putting it out, and it did make it feel more like a movie. Which I know I think we said before that with series seven, Doug Naylor wanted it to feel more like a movie. Yeah. So I guess that kind of lends a bit of credence to that. Um. So they're now being fired upon by the ship again, and uh, all Abel's faults, and uh, he uh, Abel leaves the ship in an escape pod. Yeah. Um. And initially, everyone thinks he's defecting back to, to the simulant. Yeah. 
And I think Crichton goes, he's no brother of mine. You know, mm. Angry fish shaking way. Yes, um, but yeah. actually, he's 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 helping them. He's decided yeah. to sacrifice himself because he's taken that chip of Crichton's that has all the resentment and jealousy on it. And he engulfs the simulant ship in negative energy. Which uh, the poor simulant, one of the yeah. lines he says is, I'm never going to join the parties. And I was like, oh, so make me feel sorry for you, man. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was a clever way to... Obviously, like, yeah, you, you read it on paper, it sounds ridiculous. But it, I thought it was a clever way to get out of it, especially since they'd set up that, you know, escape was essentially hopeless, you know, but that, you know, they couldn't outrun it and stuff. So, yeah, I thought it was a clever way to, to get rid of them. Yep. And then Crichton obviously asks, can he go retrieve the body, which has crashed onto a nearby asteroid? And um, I really like this ending, though, you know. Oh, do like you? This, I was going to ask about well, this. Well, no, this this bit, you know, when okay. they realise that Abel has crash-landed, he's essentially, you know, he's oh, okay. sacrificed himself. Um, and like you say, Crichton wants to do last rites. And yeah. it's, you know, there's no... There's I no do like pun- the sacrifice, but... Yeah, oh, there, I do feel there was, like no leading up there was no there feels like there was a scene missing where because cry uh, abel makes the mistake and gets them found and then yeah. next thing we know he's being he's going off there's no scene well where... there is there is that little bit isn't there where Crichton just says to him you've like committed the oh yeah the worst the... crime by like endangering yeah. the crew but i think that is literally all it is he literally says that and yeah then... but that's very focused on Crichton. that i feel there needs to be something there that's like him i don't know yeah like, See, like more, showing more us, us that showing he's him, feeling yeah. bad about it or something. And he wants to do something about it, yeah. 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 No, I, I get that. And maybe it's a victim of, like we've said before, like, you know, the Red Dwarf, the famous Red Dwarf time constraints, um, possibly. Um, but then I think, like we've said, there's probably multiple scenes or jokes in this episode that could have been cut in favour of maybe giving us that extra able scene, perhaps. Um but the sac- the idea of the sacrifice I liked, and but what I wished for was that you know when they actually get it and you see Crichton carry the body off, and and the other three are just sort of stood there watching. I yeah. kind of wish it had just been that sort of let that scene play out in silence. Um, but of course they have to they do a he ain't heavy he's my brother gag, which I heard it in the audience and I did it myself. I, I it was a bit of a groaner. For oh me, yeah, so I'm not gonna lie, because uh, that's the like, one I was wow, gonna okay. ask about. Like. That is a cheesy ending. Like, as yeah, a last I'd, line before the credits roll, that is extremely yeah, cheesy. Yeah, I, I didn't like that. I, but do you know what I mean? I, I would have loved it if you could have had some incidental music as well, but I would have just liked, you know, that scene to happen, but with no one talking and just let it sort mm. of play out. But then, of course, that isn't even um, the ending because we see, um, what is it? We see, um, what's the ending? I'm trying to remember now. Oh, they're back um, in AR, aren't they? They're back in AR with um, Mrs. Oh, yes, that's it. They're trying back in, a Vindaloo. Yeah. yeah, and then for some, and then for the three regulars, Bar Crichton, it's so hot for them that Lister breathes fire, which seems to. I know Crichton says it's a glitch, but it just again, it's a gag that sort of just happens, and you're like, what? Like what? What? Yeah, I do get. And them, then it ends. I get wanting to go back to the AR and back to you know, it kind of brings it circle back circle bang back to the beginning of the episode that kind of makes sense but the gag just didn't work for me really the kind of no, oh it's I... so hot why is it because i i think we're let i think the the, the comedy is meant to come from the fact that we're we're anticipating it being too hot for mrs bennett and then mrs bennett yeah. tries it and she's absolutely fine and then the three regulars try it and it's really hot for them but i don't know yeah it just i don't know what it was it just didn't quite work for me 
no, it didn't land for me either. I would have preferred the ending to just be like some something to do with Abel for me personally. It could have even if it was like uh, with a gag, you know. Like I, I, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't. For me personally, I know what you're saying about bringing it full circle, but I don't think we. I personally think we don't need to. We didn't need to go back to like the Jane Austen world. No. Uh, to to finish it, I don't know. It just seemed it just seemed a bit odd. Like they just sort of went back and oh, now the episode's over. You know. Yeah. Well, that is, um, what's the episode called again? Oh, Beyond a Joke, that's <laughs> beyond it. A, yeah, Beyond, beyond a, a Joke, joke yeah. Uh, that is Beyond a Joke. Um, as usual, we have three sections uh, that we do every week, which is to to pick our favourite character, our funniest moment, yep. and give it a mark out of ten. So, favourite right. character. Who is your favourite character in this episode? I mean, it might seem, the, I've, I, it might seem obvious, but I'm giving it to Crichton. Um, I know I said at the start, because this was co-written by Robert Llewellyn, it, it sort of, you know, you sort of probably shoe in that Crichton's going to get a lot of attention. Um, but I feel, you know, it, it's partly because, uh, obviously I don't know which specific bits Robert Llewellyn wrote comparison to Doug Naylor, but I just think even in his performance, it's very clear that um, Robert Llewellyn knows, you know, who this character is, you know, and he knows yeah. what makes him funny. Like we said about the pettiness, how sometimes in characters, pettiness can be really annoying, but with Crichton it really works. Um, he just smashes it. So yeah, it's Crichton for me. What about you? I was torn between Crichton and Abel. Um, oh, do you have a soft spot for Abel? Yeah, I do like Abel. Uh, and that whole memory retrieval thing particularly I really liked. Um, but, but I do, I think I'm going to give it to Crichton just because of the moment with the tank and the dinner oh, is ready bit. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. going to give it to Crichton for that. That's fair. That's fair. What about your funniest moment? Well, you just mentioned it. It's the tank shooting the gazebo purely for how ridiculous it is, how how petty it is of Crichton. But again, delivered in the best way, like dinner is served. Um, yeah, I, totally unexpected moment. Really found it funny. It's I, when I wrote it, because I, 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 it's quite early in the episode, isn't it, that that happens. Yeah. I wrote in my notes, like, that's a tough act to follow, you know, for, like, a funniest standout moment. But, yeah, that clinched it for yeah. me. What about yourself? Mine, that was potentially one of them. But I'm going to give it to uh, when the simulant ship gets engulfed in the resentment, negativity, aura thing that it gets. And, and it starts affecting the simulants. And you mentioned yeah. the line earlier. It's the line, <laughs> I never get invited to parties. Yeah. <laughs> It's just that that I, that generally like I was it came out of nowhere for me and I was like just th- that made me laugh so yeah yeah whereas and it was very left field isn't it <laughs> yeah when he says it like I've everything and the way he delivered it as well I really liked so yeah I'm gonna give it to that line I think nice Good what choice. about how many scutters out of ten would you give this episode well I I know I've um I, I know I've said this for a, a few now um of series seven but. Um, I think I'm going to give it a six, you know, um, okay. which I know is quite low for us. Um, but yeah, I just felt like, again, the bits that were good were really good. Like the, the tank thing, the, a lot of the stuff with Abel. Um, but there was just a lot of this that just didn't land with me, whether it was the jokes, the way some of the scenes played out. Like we said, like the whole negotiation with the simulant was just a bit too long winded and a bit, you know, all over the place. Uh, the whole bomb thing again. We might just be being dense, but <laughs> I'll, I'll maintain it. Still, could have probably been clearer. Um, 
yeah, there was just a lot of moments like that. Do you know what I mean? Where I was like, I'm not laughing and I'm not really either understanding or like, you know, buy, buying into what's going on here, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, but the moments, you know, I say I really like the moments that did work for me. But yeah, in my heart of hearts, I was like, six is the highest I'm, I can realistically, honestly give this one. Which I think is what I gave... Oh, no, I gave Blue the last episode. I think I gave that 6.5, I think. Okay. Um, But yeah, what about you? I'm going slightly higher than you with a 6.5 for many of the same reasons there. Some of the plot was uh, the bomb thing. A little bit hard to follow. Again, might have been us being dense. We'll see. (laughs) But see what happens in the comments. (laughs) Let us know below what you think. Uh, Are we dense or was this a confusing scene? (laughs) Uh, uh, But also... Just like they, there were some things, like you say, they went on too long. Um, and I don't know, I just didn't find myself laughing out loud, particularly other than one or two moments of the tank. And that line that I picked as my funniest moment were the two kind of times when I was like, oh, this is this is really funny. Oh, and also the the retrieval of the, the able retrieving the information. I did like that bit. So there's, there are bits in there I really like, but overall as an episode, it, just was a little bit lacking yeah that was my prevailing thought just a little bit it was it like blue in a way i think i said the same thing about blue just lacking in certain areas yeah With i think moments, i gave blue a lot yeah. higher than you didn't i i can't i think i think so yeah 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 but there we go uh that by the sounds of it series seven isn't gonna rank highly on if you if you well, rank all the series it surprised me, though, because just looking at the episode list, like the first two or three, so like t- uh, Tika to Ride, Stoke Me a Clipper, I thought were really solid. And I remember, I think I rated them very highly because Tika to Ride was the whole thing, you know, with the Kennedy assassination, yep. which I really liked. And Stoke Me a Clipper obviously has Ace Rimmer coming back and that whole plot point. And I'm certain I rated both episodes very highly. And I think even the third one, Aurora Boris, I rated when we had Sophie on, I think I rated that quite highly as well. So... For me, it, well, it's had a very strong start, but then as it's gone on, ones like Duct Soup, you know, where they're in the vents, and then Blue, and then this one, it just, it seems like, well, for me, we've had a very strong start, and then we've just sagged a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what, um, what you, I can't, what did you think? I can't remember what you thought of the first few of this series. Um, You know, I, I liked them, Um, but they were, I think the thing with this series is it leans more into the action adventure angle than the the comedy is obviously still there and there is lots of jokes but it leans less into the making me laugh out loud i I don't find myself laughing out loud as much as previous series which i'm trying not to hold too much against it because i do want to you know the other elements are good as well and i like this series for those elements but it is still a comedy show and i do still want to have a laugh out of it so i think what it is as well is i think partly i'm missing rimmer and that's yeah. not. I'm not. I'm not trying to have a diss at um, Kachansky or Chloe Annette as an actor because I think they do. You know, they're a good actor. But I just find that like because they're they're both or this version of Kachansky and Rimmer, they're both portrayed as being like you know pompous, right? You know that yeah. sort of upper class type. Where the stuff taking away the actors for a second, like just in terms of the well, I guess it is the actors, but the way Rimmer is portrayed and the way Chris Barry interprets it for me at least, really works most of the time. I won't say all of the time, because I think we've said there's times where it hasn't worked, but, you know, most of the time it does come across in, like, a comedic sense, you're engaged and stuff, whereas with this version of Kachansky, I'm not finding that as much. Mm. And I get that's personal preference. I'm sure there's people out there that love this version of Kachansky, and if you do, again, let us know in the comments and let us know why. But, um, 
yeah, for me, again, I, I like Chloe Annette, but I just, I'm not connecting with this Kachansky as much as I did both Rimmer and indeed the first Kachansky, who we barely saw any of. Yeah, there we go. Well, we've got two more episodes right. of this series to go. So we'll we see do. if uh, it manages to pick up in uh, your estimations in the in those two episodes before we move on to uh, series eight. See. Um, that's it for this uh, episode. Thank you for listening, everybody. Um, as usual, you can find us on Twitter at at or dead Dave pod, where we tweet news about the podcast, but also just random funny things, gifts and stuff yeah. from a dwarf and any, you know, news we have or musings. Um, but also, where can they find you on the Internet elsewhere? You can find me on YouTube, just Adam Martin, Adam Martin with a Y uh, for my YouTube channel there. Do talk about all sorts of pop culture stuff. And just on Twitter, it's Adam Martin AMTV. You can follow me there for my ramblings and musings and whatnot. And uh, Phil, what about yourself? You can find me on my YouTube channel, which is Philip Hawkins. Just it's just my name, basically. And uh, there, I talk about all sorts of things like Doctor Who and Star Trek. And this podcast goes up there. You might be listening to it there now, or you might be listening to it on Apple, Spotify, or whatever. In which case, do check out my YouTube channel as well. Um, yeah, well, that's it for another episode. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time. See you later. Bye-bye.